1: In Your Face on 3CR with James. Great show today. Up real soon. Cameron Bloomfield joins me in the studio from Rainbow Rights. At 4.20, I'm talking to Neil Farrow, all about Brunei's shocking death penalty. And at 4.40, Sam Elkin from Thorn Harbour and St Kilda Legal Service joins me in the studio to talk about their submission to the Human Rights Commission's inquiry into uh, sexual harassment at work. Joined in the studio by Cameron Bloomfield. Cameron is from Rainbow Rights. Welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Tell us about Rainbow Rights and advocacy. It does great work for queer people with intellectual disabilities.
2: Yes, it does. Um, Rainbow Rights is a unique group. It's uh, desi- it's for people with intellectual disabilities. We um, get together and meet every fortnight uh, to discuss issues and br- how to bring our message out to the community. We actually just met today. So um, it's actually um, it's uh, the first ever... South Overseas Group for People with Intellectual Disabilities within the LGBTIQ community in Australia.
1: Wow, fantastic. So how did you get involved with the group? What's your backstory to it all?
2: Well, my backstory is um, I was getting some support from an organisation called Pride Vic and uh, they introduced me to Rainbow Riots um, because it was an idea made from Pride Vic, which is a disability organisation within the LGBTIQ community and uh, Saru, which was a self-resource um, um, unit um, that helps out self advocacy groups. And I was introduced to Rainbow Rights from Pride Vic, and uh, then I started getting involved and in doing public speaking for Rainbow Rights, and yeah.
1: Fantastic. So it sounds like it's got a really strong social aspect to it.
2: Yeah, it does. It does. It's only a small group at the moment. Uh, they've only been going from from 2017, so yeah. And what
1: are some of the uh, obstacles in the community that people face that they talk about? What are some of the issues that they raise?
2: It's um, more of the fact is that they see us with a disability and they don't see us um, as in that we've actually got a choice of what we want to do. You know, um, we get treated like second-class citizens.
1: So there's lots of discrimination. Yes. And I guess it's really hard for people to navigate not just the social side of the queer community but also what support services are out there.
2: Yeah, it is. It is hard because um, there's not many support services out there that actually focus in LGBTIQ community with people with a disability. It sounds like
1: the the people that access your group have got very varied backgrounds and varied issues that yes, they're dealing yes. with. Tell us about some of those issues.
2: Well, um, there's uh, there's just a lot of different, very range of people with the different issues. Um, Uh, Like we've got got one of the guys who's Wayne, he's in a wheelchair. He's also uh, deaf as well. So it's um, trying to communicate with him um, and trying to get other people to listen as well, um, which makes it hard because I only see him as as someone with a disability, not as a human being.
1: So there's all those human rights issues that come up. And I guess issues about sex and sexuality as well. Can you talk about some of those?
2: Yeah, well, um, I actually did a pilot course on... Uh, um it was uh, respectful relationships within the LGBTIQ community that Deacon ran a couple uh last year and it was my it was um going over our rights and as someone with a, per, a disability and in the LGBTIQ community, going over some stories from other people. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's just um yeah, it's just all um it's we've all got rights, Joe, you know, and we should all all be be able to do it in the community as we want.
1: So, when's your next meeting? Like, how often do you meet, when, and when's the next one? You had one today.
2: Um, yeah, we had one today. Um, so we meet um, every two weeks. Um, so, unfortunately, the next one lands on Good Friday, so we don't meet then. So we'll be meeting in four weeks now um, instead of normal two weeks. So, and after that, will be every two weeks.
1: And you've got a strong presence on Facebook, which is awesome.
2: Yes, yes, I do. Now,
1: uh, I was really impressed by the clip that you guys have produced with the Rainbow Rights song. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us about the video and tell us about the song and how it all happened for you.
2: Yeah, well, um, we, um, we had Saru help us a bit. Um, they had the funding to, to help us fund for the song. And we um, contacted a guy by the name of Phil from Wild at Heart. And he come sat with us on long, extensive days, and with um, doing uh, getting our words out, you know. So we'd tell him what we thought, and he'd write them down. And because so you guys are singing in the clip, yes, 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 we are.
1: And look, I haven't seen all of the clip. Are you in it? Yes, I am. Fantastic.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. So um, it, it it started from. Um, writing down our ideas, and he went back and managed to, out of all the piles of paper he had, managed to put a song together for us, and yeah.
1: Fantastic. Well, let's let's have a play. If people want to actually uh, access your group, it's Rainbow Rights and Advocacy, and they can find you on Facebook. But I am really impressed with your song, so let's um let's play that. And thank you so much sure. for joining us today on 3CR. Thank
2: you.
1: Chain with our Cameron Bloomfield from Rainbow Rights and Advocacy, and here's their awesome track.
3: I'm sexy and I'm proud Me and my partner turn up way up loud He doesn't care how I look All that I'm a man I'm sexy and he gets me the way I am This is me For all the world to see The way I am is who I'm meant to be I got the right to love anybody Living is hard. Living is wild and free I'm proud of the body I was born in It's taking me years to say I've got lots of love left in it And I'm free to choose the way I play This is me, for all the world to see The way I am is who I'm meant to be I got the right to love anybody, living is wild and free. Living is wild and free. I don't feel it could yet. When you only see a disability, When I got got a way to go till I celebrate my sexuality.
1: listening to an In Your Face podcast on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. Uh, I need your love. 22 After 4, you on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, this week, Brunei's government brought in the death penalty for men who have sex with men. On the line, I have Neil Farrow, who is an activist and uh, a politico, former candidate for the ALP, and he's actually put a petition up urging the Australian government to ban Royal Brunei Airlines from this country. Welcome, Neil. Welcome to In Your Face.
0: Welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: I wish it was under better circumstances. Neil, what do we know about the backstory about why Brunei's government has brought this hideous law in?
0: So the interesting side of Brunei is it is one of the last remaining full dictatorships in our region. And the Sultan has been in charge of Brunei now, I think, for over 40 years. He's the second longest serving absolute monarch uh, in the world and second longest serving monarch in the world and he's trying to cement his claim on his future and legacy and and while these laws were passed originally a number of years back uh, it was only last week that the local government announced that they're coming into force and they came into force i think on the 3rd of april so two days ago
1: and there's some pretty horrific, uh, aspects to this. It's not just for gay sex, of course. There's some other, uh, issues as well, some other penalties. Can you tell us about that, particularly around abortion, for example, and adultery?
0: So there's quite a few offences that have now led to the offence of death by stoning. So death by stoning takes approximately uh, an hour for most people to die. And the offences that include that is uh, extramarital sex. So if if a heterosexual couple has had sex outside of wedlock, uh, if a female has had an abortion, um, obviously gay sex or or lgbti sex there's also a number of sodomy offences that extend into the what is the trans and intersex community and rules around that as well so what we're seeing is a very very harsh uh law and brutal law brought in that impacts not just lgbti people but single women um people women who are out of wedlock and and other members of, of the community
1: the australian government of course has condemned this law how would you rate their response has it been strong enough
0: Look, I think the Australian government has been lukewarm in what they've done thus far. You know, there's a unique opportunity here to really make the impact felt and heard, and that is by banning Royal Brunei Airlines from Australian airspace. One of the most concerning things about this law and why I'm specifically targeting the airline is once you leave Australian airspace on a Royal Brunei plane, you're automatically subject to the laws of Brunei while you're in that plane. So you have no transit protection privileges, as you do if you're flying with another carrier, because Royal Brunei Airlines carries the flag of Brunei Once you're in international waters, the laws of Brunei apply. So there's potential repercussions for both women and LGBTI people while they're on an aeroplane departing an Australian city the moment they leave Australian airspace. It's, It's potentially devastating.
1: Has the Australian government issued a travel warning then?
0: So the Australian government issued uh, a travel w- warning last Thursday when I first started the petition on Smart Traveller. The travel warning said normal precautions apply. There's been no specific travel warning issued for LGBTI people despite this change in laws, and we've already seen reports where uh, a gay couple contacted Smart Traveller, so the Australian government's travel advisory service, and were told to act heterosexual if they're worried or concerned in relation to this. So I think the Australian government's response has been underwhelming at best. Um, you know they can easily make a call to to ban Royal Brunei Airlines from flying into Melbourne, as they do at the moment, and Royal Brunei Airlines is also scheduled to commence flights into Brisbane in June this year. You know, it's a simple decision. It makes their voice heard and known, and it's an airline that is both owned by the Sultan, and when you're travelling in it, you're subject to the laws of Brunei.
1: Sounds like the Australian government's completely behind the eight ball. It sounds very easy for them to, in, you know, to inflict this ban, if you like. Why do you think they're dragging their feet? What, what Look, kind of rationale can you come up with?
0: I can't think of any rationale. The minister responsible is also the Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack. He's had a less than ideal record on LGBTI rights, and and I think a lot of listeners and, and people who've read or involved in policy and 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 advocacy around equality know of Michael McCormack's prior comments in relation to LGBTI people. Um, But he could really and simply pull his finger out and uh, remove the ability of the airline to fly to Australia. And that would protect infinite thousands of Australians who could potentially board that plane in Australia and be arrested on arrival in Brunei with a potential sentence, including stoning to death.
1: So what is Michael McCormack's form on LGBTIQ issues? What what, um, comments has he made in the past that have raised concerns?
0: So Michael McCormack, and uh, I don't have the exact comments that Michael McCormack made, but a number of years ago, he was editor of the Daily Advertiser, which was uh, a paper in the Riverina region. And when he was there, he did make some pretty substantial uh, homophobic slurs. I'm just having a quick look whether I've got them on me. Um, but the homophobic editorial, and this was back in 1993, so a substantial while ago, um, and I quote is, unfortunately gays are here and if the disease, their unnatural acts help spread, doesn't wipe out humanity, they're here to stay. Now he's obviously now the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia and he subsequently apologised for the peace, which did spark several complaints to the Press Council, um, but he's the Minister responsible for aviation and transport in his portfolio.
1: You'd think if the Coalition actually brought in this ban of Royal Brunei Airlines it would be a slam dunk for them, it would be a good news story, it would show them to be proactive uh, and And it would be a a good thing for them going into an election campaign. Uh, It seems almost incompetent that they haven't.
0: Well, look, I think the Federal Coalition Government is more intent on saving themselves than any interests of Australians at the moment. Um, We see this afternoon, for instance, STA Travel has come out and said that worldwide they'll now no longer sell tickets to Royal Brunei Airlines. We've had over 18,000 Australians sign the petition that's running on Megaphone at the moment. Um, So, you know, we've, we've seen great momentum from Australians, yet we haven't seen the equivalent momentum from our
1: government. Is the government's uh, lack of action kind of symptomatic of a pattern? I mean, we we saw that they were very slow to condemn what was happening in Chechnya. Uh, Their response uh, was in fact very weak, weaker than what's been in relation to Brunei even. Is Are we seeing a pattern that this government does not take seriously human rights abuses towards the LGBTIQ communities overseas?
0: Look, I think it's clear that this government has paid uh, very little attention to LGBTI human rights abuses overseas and and in lots of other countries. You know, I've worked in around LGBTI advocacy for for decades now and and we haven't seen any movement or any investment with our foreign aid, which continues to be cut over the past five years um, in this space. So, you know, we really need to question whether their interests are Australia's interests um, and particularly for LGBTI people across the world, you know, what is this government doing to support the community globally? And, and particularly on this issue, what is the Australian government doing to support women globally as well? You know, a, a vast majority of women uh, are single mums, a vast majority of women are not in married relationships and the laws introduced in Brunei mean that 12 nautical miles off Australia's coast, if you're in a Royal Brunei plane uh, and you're in a de facto relationship, you could potentially be arrested or you're a single mum who's got a child out of wedlock, you could potentially be arrested. Um, on a plane that departs Australian soil. Like, this is an appalling situation and substantially worse than any other country that flies to Australia in relation to its treatment of, of LGBTI people and women.
1: We've seen some articles by Peter Harcher in Fairfax publications basically talking about how, uh, being opposed to same-sex marriage was a condition, if you like, of, of, of Malcolm Turnbull getting the prime ministership that, you know, they didn't want him to rock the boat on that particular issue. Do you think that the reason why moderates in the Liberal Party aren't applying pressure on the Brunei issue is because they don't want to upset the apple cart and they don't want to open up those divisions so close to an election?
0: Well, I think we're seeing uh, the last of the moderates jump ship in the Liberal Party, whether it be sort of Christopher Pine or Julie Bishop. Um, you know, say what you will over the politics or, or conviction of, of their views. At least Christopher Pine and Julie Bishop had a history of standing up on LGBTI rights um, if and where they could, and I just don't think there's any moderates left. So it's a, a case of, you know, rats jumping a sinking slip ship and uh, nobody with the conviction of values to stand up and do something so simple. You know, banning Royal Brunei Airlines costs the Australian government nothing. This is a, a zero-cost activity. Um, you know, if they want to argue the economics of it, it actually helps other airlines which are paying tax in Australia benefit, you know, Virgin, Qantas and other players. You know, there is no potential loss for banning an airline operating in Australia that um, is so barbaric, that is owned by the Sultan of Brunei and, and could have devastating consequences on, on many Australians, you know, women and the LGBTI community.
1: Are you calling on Australians to boycott travelling to Brunei?
0: Absolutely. I think it's in Australia's best interest not to engage in any form of trade or activities with Royal Brunei. These laws are barbaric. Um, they have a substantial impact not just on the local LGBTI community in Brunei, but anyone who travels in that space. And this is an airline that is owned by Dictator. And the hotels um, that have been flagged by Ellen DeGeneres and George Clooney are also owned by the Sultan of Brunei. There is a hotel in Australia that's owned by the Sultan of Brunei up in Brisbane. Brisbane, and I know that hotel has deleted its social media account since we've brought to attention the fact that it's a hotel owned by uh, the Sultan in in Brunei.
1: So it sounds like uh, overseas, other governments, for example, have had a much stronger response to this uh, Brunei death penalty?
0: Absolutely. If you have a look at the Lord Mayor in London, um, Transport for London has removed all of Brunei's advertising from all transport ads across the City of London. So this is in the Tube and on buses um, and on trains across London. So, you know, here's a city where the Mayor has stepped in and said, that's not the advertising we want. We saw overnight demonstrators um, undertake a protest inside the Dorchester Hotel um, in the United Kingdom over these laws, you know there's other governments that are starting to move and and you even just compare the response to New Zealand versus the response to Australia. You know, we still haven't had Scott Morrison come out in any strong way and and condemn what's happening in Brunei. You know, Jacinta Ardern came out and, you know, made a very strong statement and a very positive statement around um, what she feels and believes in this space and we haven't had that from Scott Morrison. We have had from um, Maurice Payne, the foreign minister, uh, a statement or two, but it would be nice for the Prime Minister to show some leadership and do something that absolutely, cost nothing, you know, and and rescind the air rights of Royal Brunei to Australia, both to Melbourne Airport, where they fly now, and to Brisbane, where they're intending to fly from June.
1: You've got a petition up. What's the response been like?
0: The response has been pretty good um, you know we've got 17 or 18 thousand uh, signatories on the petition now we'd obviously like that to continue to grow and that's available online at um, megaphone.org.au backslash p backslash Brunei um, and it's really good to see so many people sharing it on social media using the hashtag #BanRoyalBrunei, and just talking and tagging their friends to really make this an issue and, and if we can continue to do so we'll get more wins you know STA travel now has banned all sales of Royal Brunei tickets worldwide. That's because of these sorts of campaigns and because of everyone who signed the petition, shared things on social media and and got involved. You know, Flight Centre, where's your leadership in this space? And there's a number of travel companies that often march in Midsummer or Mardi Gras, and they're big supporters of marriage equality when it made business sense for them to do so. This is a matter of life and death, and we're calling upon them now to implement a ban on Royal Brunei Airlines as well.
1: Neil, of course, you've run twice for office. You've run twice for the Labor Party for the state seat of Paran. When will you run again and will this campaign segue well into a future campaign for you?
0: Look, there's four years until the next state election in Victoria and and three years till the next uh, federal election. I've been fighting for LGBTI rights and education and equality for sort of 15 years now. Um, So this was something that I felt strongly about and and that impacts much of our community. And um, despite being a failed politician for my runs in Pran, uh, it's something that I think uh, good Australians will stand up for and it it means something. And and the support and feedback of everyone getting involved. You know, the fact that STA travel has come out today... banned Royal Brunei Airlines really shows that by being out there and by advocating and, and a big thanks to everyone who signed the petition and, and shared the stuff on social media, you know, we are making a difference and this will save lives and it will stand up. You know, if you're an LGBTI citizen in Brunei, we're sending them the message that they've got supporters and solidarity all over the world. Um, because while it's bad for us hopping on a plane, um, it's even worse for LGBTI people who live in Brunei. And, and we've got to do our best to make sure that um, their voices are heard and that this sort of uh, barbaric regime is, is called to account.
1: So I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we're not going to see you as a last-minute candidate for the federal election, or are
0: we? Uh, I don't even know when the federal election's going to be called, and uh, I haven't uh, planned for that at the moment. So, you know, I- I'm a-, a Labor boy through and through and-, and very proud to support the work of Bill Shorten, and I think he's got a great team with people like Penny Wong. Um, but as I said, I'm actually going on a holiday in a- on a week or two myself. So, uh, Obviously not back- to Brunei. No, no, it won't be to Brunei. I'm heading uh, up to Thailand, actually, but uh, um, I'll have a bit of a break and then come back and help and hand out for the election campaign and and look forward to hopefully having a foreign minister like Senator Penny Wong, who I'm sure would be much more impassioned on this issue, and hopefully the Labor Party, should they win government um, in May, will seriously consider what we're asking the current minister for transport to do, which is rescind the air travel rights for Royal Brunei Airlines.
1: All right, Neil, great to chat with you. Thanks for your petition. Have a great time in Thailand, and uh, We'll chat again.
0: No problems. Thanks very much, and have a great day. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.
1: Neil Farrow there talking about his petition urging the Minister for Transport, the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormack, to ban Royal Brunei Airlines from travelling in and out of Australia. It's uh, 4.36. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here are the Divinals. of there, Human on the Inside, 20 to 5 on In Your Face on 3 C with James, joined in the studio by Sam Elkin. Uh, Sam is Victoria's first and only dedicated LGBTIQ lawyer. Uh, Sam works at St Kilda Legal Service and Thorn Harbour and they have recently conducted a survey looking at sexual harassment towards the LGBTIQ community at work. Welcome Sam to In Your Face.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Tell us about the survey. Did the results surprise you?
4: Yeah, so we conducted it um, around Christmas time of last year and have been collating the results since. And um, it didn't surprise me, but um, I think it might surprise others about the extremely high levels of sexual harassment uh, experienced by LGBTIQ people. And the thing that we've tried to do in the report is really tease out the different experiences of different parts of our community because we're not just one group. Um, Trans and gender diverse people are going to have a different experience to uh, cis gay men in the workplace, for example. And we've tried to illustrate the differences in our rich, negative experiences and given some ideas on how we can address it as well. So tell us about those rich, negative experiences. <laughs> how did they vary? What kind of things came up? Yeah, well, certainly um, with the trans and gender diverse community, one you know major theme was um, being asked intrusive and unnecessary questions around... Um, you know desire for surgeries, genitals, body parts, sexual attractions to particular kinds of people, things like that just the kind of questions that aren 't really appropriate to be asked um, you know at ten thirty in the morning on your tea break um, so that was definitely uh, a theme um, which you know can both for the purposes of discrimination law fall into i suppose gender identity discrimination and sexual harassment as well, which is an interesting from a discrimination lawyer nerd point of view. And, um, yeah, a lot of gay men responded to our survey as well and talked about being, uh, you know, physically sexually harassed by um, heterosexual women, by other gay men um, in the workplace, being given things like, uh, you know, dildos and things like that when they're going on like annual leave and, you know, just stuff that's intended to be humorous but is just, you know, at times just completely out of line and a.
1: Have the results that come up actually highlighted some deficiencies in the law here in Victoria and federally? Uh, Does the law need to catch up on sexual harassment? And if so, how?
4: Yeah, so I think um, for everybody, you know, LGBTIQ or otherwise, I think that the key issue is the fact that people are incredibly under-reporting sexual harassment. And that's because of the structures in place to report sexual harassment. It's an individual complaints-based system. So you've basically got to go to the Australian Human Rights Commission or here in Victoria, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission – and run your own individual complaint. And if that doesn't resolve, then you've got to either take your matter to VCAT or the federal court if you're going federally. And that can be very expensive, um, very stressful, very demanding. And, um, you know, we would like to see a model where uh, the commissions or, um, you know, some sort of independent arbiter has the ability to go into workplaces and investigate. Like in safe. Yeah, exactly. If there's a workplace injury, people go in and investigate. Sexual harassment um, can cause psychological distress and psychological injury. So we say it should be the same thing.
1: And it sounds like the process that's currently involved it's very time consuming. It can make things worse. And you know, if someone doesn't have perhaps a mental illness or some serious trauma as a result of sexual harassment, then the process will actually mean that they may well. Do have one because it just sounds so arduous.
4: Yeah, that's right. These processes can take you know up to two years sometimes, and um, I certainly would encourage people to make complaints. But you know, be aware that this can be uh, an emotionally draining process, and at the moment, there's no provision for you know mental health support built into the system, which is another thing that I think would be a fantastic development in this space.
1: Did people talk about power imbalances that came across as a result of sexual harassment, and and power imbalances that were the cause of the sexual harassment?
4: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what is at the root of sexual harassment in, you know, all workplaces for the most part. And um, I I think that's why um, LGBTIQ sexual harassment experiences can be a little bit hidden sometimes, because I think the um, stereotypical power dynamic of a, uh, you know, wealthier, more senior heterosexual white male um, (laughs) sexually harassing a junior female staff member is the kind of, Uh, the idea that we have in our mind when we think of sexual harassment and certainly that does occur but power can operate in very different ways in different organisations. For example, LGBTIQ organisations have their own power structures and, um, you know, different kind of like cultural factors within the LGBTIQ community are going to come into play there and at the end of the day um, people have to, you know, understand that a workplace is a place where people come to, you know, essentially to perform a role and that, um, you know, inappropriate jokes and and things like that um, might be really funny to the manager who's making the joke. But the fact of the matter is if you're cracking it to, you know, one of your underlings, they have a kind of economic imperative to laugh at that joke and go along with it. And I think that people sometimes can just completely miss the power dynamics that are at play in a conversation like that.
1: Were there any industries in particular that had more common occurrences of sexual harassment?
4: You know, um, I've been reading sexual harassment reports um, from across a range of sectors. I just read one about the education sector recently. It's it's all over the place. It's endemic across Australian workplaces, um, whether people are in hospitality, in an office environment, hospitals, um, certainly any environment where there's a clear hierarchical structure um, such as hospitals and things like that um, is a place where sexual harassment can really be rife and also places where, um, you know, Workers don't have a lot of power, so like places like uh, you know, casual employment, like hospitality, and things like that can be a big problem for people as well.
1: Were there many examples of sexual harassment actually morphing into physical violence? Uh, Yeah,
4: Um, we didn't have too many uh, responses talking about, uh, I suppose, actual violence, but we certainly there was a real theme of um, lesbians and queer women reporting um, threats of of violence. So, like, corrective rape, essentially. Like, you need a good something in you in order to be cured of your lesbianism. And that's, you know, incredibly violent and threatening in terms of the language. And, um, yeah, that was a real theme that came through in the survey, which was of great concern to us.
1: And was that, that those kind of occurrences, were they in predominantly male industries? Uh, or, or, yeah...
4: Uh, Not really. (laughs) Um, Really? I think a lot of um, our respondents... So some
1: of those comments were women to women?
4: uh, No, so those ones were certainly, um, so, like, heterosexual males or presumably heterosexual males... um, making remarks uh, to queer women about how they can cure them of their lesbianism or their, their queerdom in some way. But I think most of our respondents reported being uh, working in office environments and university settings and things like that. So we're not talking about you know the construction site for the most part. Uh, we're really talking about you know the modern office workplace.
1: Wow. So, um, were there many, like, you know, constructed sites where people are actually working and, and, and things did come up, or were the majority of your respondents actually in offices in white collar roles?
4: Yeah, I'd say that, you know, because of the small scope of our survey and the way that, you know, I used social media to share the results, um, to the, the survey, I reckon that most um, people that responded probably tended to be more sort of like white collar or, or uni students that were doing HOSPO jobs and something like that. i would love to see the Australian Human Rights Commission really do a comprehensive survey into the experiences of LGBTIQ sexual harassment because in most of, you know, the mainstream training material and things like that, our experiences are just completely kind of lost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a bit more about the Human Rights Commission's inquiry. How is that operating? Are they conducting hearings, for example?
4: Um, So what they did was uh, have a whole bunch of kind of... uh, you know, forums um, here in Melbourne and Sydney and across Australia, and they focused on different industries and they focused on um, different communities. So I had the opportunity to attend an LGBTIQ one um, at the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission last year, and that was really interesting, um, you know, which is what inspired me to do the survey in the first place. Um, There was a very strong um, theme of, uh, trans women, for example, who, you know, experience, uh, sexual harassment on the street, also experiencing it in the, in the workplace at higher rates and, um, you know, a strong desire to not report that harassment because as we know, um, trans and gender diverse people, I think, are uh, four, four times, uh, less likely to be employed than, uh, cis counterparts. So, you know, if you have a job, you've got a strong incentive to basically keep your mouth shut, which is a real problem.
1: Do many people report having to leave their jobs because of sexual harassment and then, of course, kind of spiral into, like, you know, depression and poverty and issues like that?
4: Yeah, they did. Um, I think that, unfortunately, at the moment, most people's experiences were either um, not reporting it at all or when they did report it, not necessarily having a very good experience. And, you know, we'll say that the kind of person that's going to respond voluntarily to a survey like that is probably somebody who's, you know, had a strong experience one way or another with the system. but um. Yeah, a lot of people unfortunately said, you know, I've raised this with my manager, I raised it with, uh, you know, a commission or something like that and at the end of the day my contract wasn't renewed or at the end of the day I just felt bullied out of the organisation and I left. So sobering uh, statistics, unfortunately.
1: And I imagine most of the people who responded weren't union members?
4: Um, You know, we didn't ask that question and I really wish I had because I think um, that would have been a really interesting kind of um, piece of data to analyse. But, um, you know, in Australia today at the moment, unfortunately, most people aren't in a union. So I would say that our survey results certainly reflected that as well.
1: Did you see a link between the deregulated labour market and workers' rights being eroded generally and people are either not reporting or not getting a response that was satisfactory? And did some people actually get the sack?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, t- person after person said things like, you know, if I say anything, my contract won't get renewed. I just won't get another shift. Um, you know, it's, it's as simple as that for most people. Um, I don't even think that most survey respondents necessarily recognize themselves to be part of the kind of like casual or insecure labor market. That just is what work is like for most people now. Um, you know, I think that for a lot of people, the idea of having full-time ongoing employment is just something that they've never experienced. Tell us a bit more
1: about the Human Rights Commission's inquiry. Are they going to be using it as a mechanism for arguing for law reform? Because it sounds like the law does need to change, and I imagine it's pretty ad hoc from state
4: to state. Yeah, so I think both the Australian Human Rights Commission and the Victorian counterpart, um, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission, would both like to see um, their, I suppose, functions bolstered so that they have an investigative power. Um, At the moment, you know, they just simply don't have the power to go into workplaces or conduct their own, um, you know, evidence-based research into organisations. They need to wait for the individual complainant. Then they can do things like training and, you know, try to sort of engage with industry is to try and bring organisations up to standard. But at the end of the day, the whole system is um, slanted towards an individual having a problem and coming to a place like that to deal with it. So I think both organisations would like to see that change um, and, yeah, we'll be expecting to see some, you know, final reports um, about, you know, the recommendations from the whole sector and and what what it actually is going to happen but um yeah that's a bit unknown for me at the moment
1: so it sounds like people could potentially lodge a claim if they have been sexually harassed either the victorian equal opportunity Mm. commission under state law or under the human rights commission under federal law um which is the strongest for um people to access in your legal opinion
4: Um, Well, it does depend. I mean, if you've been sexually harassed here in Victoria, I guess the benefit of going through the state-based system is that if it doesn't resolve at the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission, you can go to the human rights list of VCAT, and VCAT is a much less formal process than going through the federal court, um, which you have to do at the national level. So it's probably going to be a lot cheaper for you to go through the um, Victorian-based system. Having said that, I think there's a lot of prestige and gravitas to going into the federal court. So certain organisations might be um, more likely to settle for a more favourable amount if you go through the federal system. So it kind of does depend on people's set of circumstances.
1: WorkSafe, of course, as you mentioned before, does have those inspectorial powers. Um, Are you calling on the Andrews government, if you like, to amend the occupational health and safety legislation to enable WorkSafe to actually take on a role in relation to investigating sexual harassment and providing a remedy? Would that be the best way to go in terms of a technocratic approach?
4: Yeah, I think um, Victorian Trades Hall Council and, and some of the union bodies have um, put put a, a, their own report as part of this inquiry and they're certainly calling for greater industrial powers in that space and that's something that I would broadly be supportive of. Um, I suppose our role as a small LGBTIQ legal service is to... Put you know, put our um, our community's perspective on things. But certainly, um, you know, what uh, organisations like Trades Hall have to say about it, I'm very interested in, but um, I'm, I'm led by those industrial leaders in that sense.
1: So it sounds like the Victorian Trades Hall Council has been more proactive on this issue than the ACTU. Would you say that's the case?
4: Um, you know, I'm not sure if the ACTU has put a, put a submission into it, but certainly I know a lot of unions did put a um, submission into the Australian Human Rights Commission inquiry. So I think it's something that the union movement is very interested in. Um, They're aware that sexual harassment is a union issue that affects their membership as well. So, um, you know, HOSPO Voice, I know United Voice has that interesting campaign um, that, you know, includes trying to stamp out sexual harassment um, in, you know, hospitality environments. So I'm really excited about the whole conversation, I suppose, globally um, moving to recognise sexual harassment as being a big issue that society needs to tackle now. And it's not just something that, uh, you know, women and, you know, other minority people just have to cop on the chin if they want a job. So if people
1: want to see your report, how can they access it?
4: Yeah. Um, you can jump onto the St Kilda legal service website. It's on our policy and research, um, sub tab of the website. And, um, if you're interested in seeing some of the other reports, um, the Power to Protect Joint Statement um, that was, I think, organised by Victoria Legal Aid and signed by 100 um, organisations, including uh, queer organisations like Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard and Drummond Street Services and St Kilda Legal Service. Um, Check that out as well. You can um, just Google Power to Protect with a two and Victoria Legal Aid and it'll come up. And it's a really wonderful document and a bit of a call to arms for change.
1: Absolutely. Sam Elkin, love your work. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. Thank you. Talking to Sam Elkin from Thorn Harbour and St Kilda Legal Service about their report into sexual harassment at work for the LGBTIQ community. It is 5 to 5. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Here's Milk. Train song.
2: I'm on this train.
3: I'm on this train. I'm on this downtown underground New York subway.